You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Romans chapter number one. Thank God for that. Amen. Thank God we've been ransomed, been set free. I'm glad Jesus paid it all. Now all to him we owe. It's been good to be in church today. And thank you for visiting with us again. We're honored that you're here. Let me say this. Thank you for your faithfulness. And thank you for staying there and preaching and laboring there and loving people. And we're praying that God will meet the need of your heart during this meeting these days. And it's a blessing to get to serve God together, isn't it? Aren't you glad you're not alone? And you're not the only one. I'm glad that there's a remnant out there still faithfully serving God. And God's got you right where He wants you. And to thank God for it. Romans chapter number 1. And I want to bring your attention to four verses tonight. And uh, there's a phrase in each of these four verses that God used to speak to my heart. And I'm praying God will help us with this thought here this evening. All of us who are here tonight have been brought here to this place and to this point by different circumstances. All of us have a different story as far as the events in life that has gotten us to the point that we're at right now. But at the same time, we can say that all of us are here with something in common, and that something we all have in common is the gospel has changed our life. There was a day when we heard it preached. There was a day when we read it in printed form. But there was a moment when the gospel intersected our life. And we're here tonight, not short of anything else, but the gospel changed our life. If ever there was an hour when we need to lift up the gospel banner and burn the gospel lamp and raise a gospel voice, it's the hour in which we live. I was looking in the office a couple of hours ago and I saw a statistic. It said that 67% of mankind from AD 30 up till now, 67% has never heard or had never heard the gospel. Three billion people, they estimate right now in our world, has never heard the gospel. 33% of those who live in America never attend church, and probably many of them have never heard the gospel. Now, there's a lot of problems, but I think there's one solution. There's a lot of issues, but I think there's one remedy. There's a lot of need, but there's one thing that can meet the need. And you say, what is that? I think it's the gospel. I want you to see what Paul penned under inspiration of God in Romans chapter number one. And we don't always do this, but let's stand together. I feel like you've been sitting a little while. Let's stand up and stretch and we'll give you a chance to see how good of a parent you are with your five and up, okay? They're going to wake up now, move around. That's okay. Somebody ought to run anyway. If it's one of them, that's fine with me. Romans chapter number one. Look here at verse number one. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated Unto, and I put these two words in parentheses, the gospel of God. Verse number nine. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in, and I put these two words in parentheses, the gospel of his son. Verse 15, he hits it again. So as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach, here's the two words, the gospel to you that are at Rome also. And then here's our text verse. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. 
For it is, I like that, it's presently all that it's ever been. I say, woo, right there, it's not diminished, it's not changed, what it ever was, it is at this moment. I'm glad it doesn't say for it was, I'm not, it didn't used to be, but it is right now, 2023, whether you have a Wi-Fi connection or not, it is. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Tonight, I just want to come to you on behalf of the gospel. Do you remember when you first got saved as a new convert? How convinced you were in the sufficiency of the gospel? I took gospel tracts everywhere on my secular college campus and passed them out because I just believed there was power in the gospel. I didn't know much else about the Bible at all. Honestly, all I knew was God died, Jesus died for me. God saved my soul. And if he did it for me, he probably could do it for somebody else. I just had the gospel. Do you remember as a young preacher how convinced you were of the sufficiency of the gospel? I remember the first time I preached out was a juvenile detention center. And I saw those young men there so hardened by sin already, 18 years and under. And they looked at me like they hated me. And I remember all I did was preach John 3.16 and saw countenances change. I saw tears run down cheeks. And all it was was the power of the gospel. I don't care the ism, the ideology. I don't care what it is. The gospel is more powerful than that. For a little while tonight, let's ask God to give us a reignited assurance in the fact that the gospel is sufficient in our generation. God, I pray that you'd help me preach, please. I pray for power. I pray for liberty. And I pray that you'd fill me with the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you'd meet the need of every pastor, every worker, every Christian here tonight. I pray you'd help us, Lord, to believe it, that the gospel is still the power of God unto salvation. I pray for one here tonight who's not saved, that we'd even see the power of the gospel work in their life and they might be born again tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. There's a lot of noise being made in our generation. And there's a lot of posturing being done by movements and men acting as though they have a measure of power. Leaders of nations like to stand and boast themselves as superpowers. And they'll talk about their nuclear power or their economic power. There's a lot of ideologies today that seem to overwhelm like a flood. And they sweep upon us like waves that crash against the foundation of our life. The phrase is popular, knowledge is power. And our world is puffed up with the idea that it has some kind of power. We hear about it all the time. There's black power and green power and white power and girl power. That's a scary one. <laughs> and trans power and queer power. There's wind power and hydropower and solar power. I always say in California in the summertime, because of our liberal leadership, there's often no power. But there's a lot of sounding brass and tinkling cymbals today that blast their nonsense and make their noise. There's a thousand isms and ideologies, a sea of rabid voices and a massive pressure that comes down on the Christian who still loves their King James Bible. It seems like there's a surmounting force that works against everything that is good and everything that is godly. It appears there's a power at work in our world that's fighting against everything that claims the cause of righteousness. There's no shortage of Ahab or Jezebel. 
There's no shortage of Nebuchadnezzars or Nero's. They tell us we're living in a post-Christian era. They tell us the local church model is out of date. They tell us our culture has voted by its actions and they no longer care to hear about Jesus Christ. In every respect and in every realm, we're living in an hour where it looks like there's a great power that opposes everything that stands for God. It reminds me of Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar when the rule was this, whosoever falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. We're not living in days of luxury. And we're not living in days of leisure. We're living in the last days. There looks to be a lot of power today in the political realm. There looks to be a lot of power today in the social realm. It's obvious there's a lot of power in the entertainment realm. Sadly, I believe there's a lot of power at work in the heretical realm. The Bible reminds us in Ephesians chapter 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We stand tonight as a cold out remnant in a great contrast against the masses who are seeking to destroy our society and ultimately damn the souls of men. There's no question. There's a powerful multi-front movement that is anti-Christ and anti-Christian in our generation. And thousands upon thousands are being swept up in it and enslaved by it. It's real, it's big, and it's powerful. But tonight, I'm not here to talk about that. I still say in our generation, where we're so greatly outnumbered and where the opposition is so overwhelming, that there is still yet sufficient and dynamic power in the name of Jesus Christ. And there is still sufficient and dynamic power in the blood of Jesus Christ. And there is still sufficient and dynamic power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tonight, the gospel is still the power of God unto salvation. Hear your Bible and hear it well, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. More powerful than worldly ideology more potent than earthly philosophy, more persuasive than the seducing spirit of the age is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, what is the gospel? The gospel is good news. The gospel is God's declaration from his throne that he's ready to pardon any sinner that rest his faith in the finished work of Calvary. It was good news on the day when Adam heard God provided a skin to cover his nakedness. It was good news on the day when Noah heard God provided a ship to get him to the judgment. It was good news on the day when Abraham heard of a seed that God would make his own. It was good news on the day when Moses saw a burning bush and it spoke to his soul and sent him to deliver his nation. It was a good day outside the walls of Jericho whenever God said he would strike down the wall with his unseen hand. It was a good day in the life of Ruth when Boaz brought a shoe and reminder, he'd be her kinsman redeemer. It was a good day when Elisha got a double portion of Elijah's spirit. It was good news on that day. But can I say, though that was good news, there is no news as good as the gospel news. The hymn writer got it right when he penned. Tis the grandest theme. Let the tidings roll to the guilty heart, to the sinful soul. Look to God in faith. He'll make thee whole. Our God is able to deliver thee. I 
wonder tonight, facing what we face and fighting what we fight, what is it that we need? What is it that we stand on? I'm here to say what we need is what is word from the day Christ gave up his life on the cross of Calvary. And it still works in 2023. It's the gospel. That's the power of God unto salvation. We don't need less gospel. We need more gospel. We don't need a watered down gospel. We need the pure gospel. We don't need halfway gospel. We ought to preach the whole gospel. Let the programs die if they must. Let the gimmicks be set aside if you will. Resign every other agenda to the wastebasket and bury everything that takes preeminence over the gospel and get back to proclaiming that Jesus died for sinful men. The gospel is glad tidings of great joy. The gospel is good news from a far country. The gospel is a lifeline from the lifeboat to those sinking deep in sin. It is the power of God unto salvation. Lester Olaf said the gospel is the sinner's emancipation proclamation. God declaring that he can go free. And I'm coming to you tonight on behalf of the gospel. You and I who've already received it and claimed it and know of its power. I say we can't get far from it. We can't afford to neglect it. It's not time to lose faith in its power. It is still sufficient in our generation to save all who will believe. B.R. Lakin told a young preacher, he said, here's my advice to you. Learn how to preach the gospel. That'd be my advice to you is just go home and get reacquainted with preaching the gospel. What can change a corrupt culture? The gospel. What can turn the tide of sin? The gospel. What can change a child of the devil to a child of God? It is the gospel. It's interesting to consider the gospel, to consider the story and see how it begins with death. How can anything victorious come out of something so final as death and have it at its beginning? But the gospel is a story of death. On a hill called Calvary, Jesus, my Lord, suffered for me, bearing the cross all the way, my sin to atone. There's nothing so final, so much closure as death in the mind of man. How can this be a story of victory? But not only is it a story of death, it's a story of burial. You talk about final burial, a lot of sorrow at a burial. There's a period placed on life at a burial, but the story doesn't stop there. The gospel story begins with death and runs through burial, but I'm glad that it exclaims itself in resurrection. Thank God. The gospel story is this. I deliver unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, and he was buried, but thank God he was raised again according to the scripture, and tonight it is the gospel. Now we're going to Rome in Romans chapter 1. Remember tonight, it was Rome that scourged our Savior. It was Rome that put thorns upon his head. It was Rome that threw a cross upon his shoulder. It was Rome that spit upon his face. It was Rome that mocked his deity. It was Rome that paraded his body through the street. It was Rome that nailed him to an old rugged cross. Rome was no friend to Christ and Rome was no friend to the Christian. Rome is a place that knows all about power. It was the most powerful body in the world when Paul penned his letter what a contrast Rome would be to that poor, feeble preacher. But Paul pins this letter to this people in this place, Rome, of supreme power politically, supreme power militarily, supreme power culturally, supreme power in society, and supreme power in religion. They say the sun would never set on the Roman Empire. They'd conquered most of the known world. It was the capital.
capital of the globe, the most advanced society on the earth. Over one million people claimed Rome as their state. They bowed to no nation. They worshiped no God but Caesar. Their edifices, the Colosseum, the Temple to Venus, the Pantheon, everything spoke of their power. Here in Romans 1, Paul's introduction to the church in Rome, he gives them not just this first part we read about the gospel, but first consider the second half of the chapter, an indictment against the wickedness of the world. I think it's interesting to notice when this feeble, bent over preacher walks into Rome, he's walking into a place steeped in sin and drunken with power. If you read verse 18 through verse 32, it's like a history lesson in the perversity of society. The Holy Spirit has Paul give a rap sheet, if you will, of the Gentile world. Here's what it says. They were corrupted by unnatural love. They were given to vile immorality. They deified their own lusts. They were consumed with sensuality. They twisted the word of God and made it alive. They carved themselves gods of stone and wood and worshiped them. They gave more esteem to the creature than the creator that made it all. Their affections are called vile. Their sexuality is fluid. Their modesty is abandoned. Their morality is abhorrible. Their mind is reprobate and they're blind to the truth. He's writing to a crowd that has evicted God from their consciousness. They're unafraid of judgment. They're unaware of holiness and unashamed of ungodliness. They're corrupt. They are callous and they're contemptible toward anything that has to do with the God of heaven. You read those verses. It's like the devil is flexing his muscle and sin is displaying its power and the flesh is posturing in its ability. But I'm glad it's not insignificant to me that God had Paul pin that phrase of the gospel. Not one time, not two times, not three times, but four times in the same chapter. He says, man, the world is wicked and the world is wrapped in sin. But I'm going to give you in the same chapter where I indict the wickedness of the world, the answer and the remedy for the wickedness of the world. You begin in verse number one and read on down through verse number nine over and over again and then verse 15 and then verse 16 he says the gospel. I think God is trying to encourage Paul. He's trying to encourage the church in Rome and trying to encourage us tonight that the answer for a generation like that is the gospel. That's where we're living today in Romans chapter number one. But I'm glad we already know the answer. You say, where's the answer? Rome's a powerful place, but there's a greater power. There's a power that towers above their Colosseum. There's a power that isn't worried about the number of their soldiers. There's a power of more legal authority than the decree of Caesar. And the power is not in the preacher. The power is not in his delivery. The power is not in his person. The power is not in his size. The power is not in his crowd. The power is not in his following. The power lies in the gospel. You see, Rome had a great need, but God had a great solution. Rome abounded in sin, but God had a message abounding in grace. 
ways. And when Paul would walk in to that center of paganism and that powerful empire, that cesspool of iniquity, thank God he could carry the gospel into that city all over Rome, up every street, down every avenue, in every nook and cranny. If the gospel be preached, he could turn everything upside down. The gospel's the power of God unto salvation. I don't care where you are. I don't care where you serve. I don't care the number of people. I don't care how hard their heart. The gospel is the answer. The gospel, no greater story. The gospel, no better news. The gospel, nothing so powerful. Sweetly echoes the gospel called wonderful words of life. The gospel tells the record of mercy. The gospel's the romance of grace. The gospel's the report of reconciliation. There was, and thank God there is, and forever will be power in the gospel. There's only one power that can confront every ideology of the world and conquer it, the gospel. There's only one power that can subdue every carnal philosophy and bring it into captivity. That is the gospel. There's only one power that can open a blinded eye and make it see the light, and that is the gospel. There's only one power that can bring down the stronghold of Satan and snatch men from the burning. It is the gospel. There's only one power that can take the sting out of sin. That is the gospel. There's only one power that can rob victory out of death, and that is the gospel. The gospel finds its source in the mind of God. Isn't that amazing? Before there was ever a man who needed the gospel, there was a God who was thinking of man and planned the gospel as a lamb slain before the foundations of the world. The gospel finds its center in the love of God. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And then the gospel finds its substance Substantiation in the word of God. Christ also once suffered the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but quickened by the spirit. I like the call of the Old Testament. Oh, everyone that thirsteth come ye to the waters and he that hath no money come ye buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Here's what Paul said. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it's the power of God God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Today, I know the gospel is despised by the world and it's mocked by the skeptic. And I believe it's marginalized by the church. But God says it's the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is God's arm outstretched. The gospel's heaven's olive branch extended. The gospel's the red ribbon we can hang from the window of our heart. There is no ditch too deep. There is no pit too full of mire. There's no sea too raging that the gospel cannot rescue. The gospel's a shining light in the storefront of eternity, reminding all that God is open for business. They say the cross was nine feet tall and six feet wide, but I say the gospel towers higher and reaches further than that. The gospel stretches out as wide as the embracing arms of God. It rises as high as heaven and deep, dives deeper than the lowest hell. The gospel rent the veil. The gospel parted the sea. The gospel spanned the gulf. The gospel satisfied the law. And the gospel goes deeper than the stain of sin has gone. I'm just convinced every home needs the gospel. Every heart needs the gospel. Every head needs the gospel. 
Every soul needs the gospel. No matter who they are, no matter where they're from, no matter what they've done, every beating human heart needs to hear it, that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again the third day. Thank God when they receive the gospel, it buries their past. It erases their record and imparts divine favor on their life. Bear the news to every land across the sea. Oh, climb the steeps and cross the waves. Onward tis the Lord's command. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Take it far. Carry it wide. Preach it north. Proclaim it south. Share it east and declare it west. The gospel. Neither is there salvation in the other. There's none of the name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We can take it with all assurance to every line of latitude, every line of longitude, from pole to pole, north to south. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. To every kindred, it's the power of God unto salvation. To every nation, the power of God unto salvation. To every tongue, it's the power of God unto salvation. To every ethnicity, the power of God unto salvation. To every individual, the power of God unto salvation. It is good news from a far country. It was the answer in Jerusalem. It was the answer in Judea. It was the answer in Samaria. And it's the answer to the uttermost parts of the world. In every town, it'll work. In every city, it'll work. Up every street, it'll work. On every highway, it'll work. In every state, it'll work. In every nation, it'll work. There is no heart too hard for the gospel. There's no mind that is too darkened for the gospel. There's no wall too tall for the gospel. There's no life so broken, but the gospel could change it. It works everywhere. It works in the living room. It works in the bedroom. It works in the bar room. It works in the pool room. It works in the high rise. It works in the hovel. It works in the apartment. It works in the estate. It works in the marketplace. It works in the mansion. It works on the street corner. And it works in the government building. God blesses the gospel. God uses the gospel. God works through the gospel. God anoints the gospel. The gospel, when you believe it, births you into his family. The gospel, when you receive it, reconciles you to the Father. The gospel, when you seize hold of it, guarantees glory in your future. At the gospel, every scientific theory has to crumble. At the gospel, every humanistic philosophy falls. At the gospel, every satanic pull loses its grip. At the gospel, every man's inner religion bows to its knee. The gospel breaks up the fallow ground. The gospel plants the good seed. And the gospel brings forth spiritual fruit. I love the gospel. The gospel is unbiased. It's without prejudice. It's colorblind. It's ignorant to race. It's unbound by dialect. It never asks for money, and it comes without any contingency. I think about the gospel that saturates the soul with living water. It satisfies with living bread. It stings like a legionary sword. It shines like a lighthouse on a darkened shoreline. It's as sweet as a ladle of honey from Canaan land. Amen. It's soothing like a balm from Gilead. The gospel's the rose that blooms in a world full of thorns. The gospel's a star that shines in a dark day. The gospel's salt that purifies in a corrupt culture. The gospel's good news in a past 
that hour, it sets the captive free. It gives the enslaved an escape plan. It's the key that looses the band. It opens the door and lets them go to liberty. It expunges the record of guilt on one who's condemned to die. The gospel is the remedy for iniquity. It's the remover of condemnation, the resurrection of the dead spirit, and the restorer of our peace with God. You can look around the room tonight and see the effects of the gospel. Don't tell me it won't work. Don't tell me it's not sufficient. I'm not always what you see tonight, and you weren't either. Your halo's as crooked as mine is. I wasn't born saved. I wasn't born with shine shoes. I wasn't born in a nice suit or slicked up hair. I was born a sinner headed to hell. I'd be in hell right now with my back broke. If you knew what I once was, if you knew where I came from, if you'd have seen me before grace came my way, man, I'd be in hell right now. But I'm saved by the grace of God. Heaven bound with a hammer down. A new creature in Christ the Lord. Part of his family. Drafted in. You say, what happened to you? I'll tell you what didn't happen to me. It wasn't some program. It wasn't some rehab. It wasn't some con uh, confirmation course. It wasn't some just get over here and turn over a new leaf. No. I'll tell you what happened to me. On my own road to Damascus one day, I met someone like I'd never met before. I ran into the Lord Jesus Christ. I saw his nail-pierced hands stretched my direction. I said, Lord, would you take me? He said, I'd take you. I didn't deserve his love. I didn't merit his mercy. I didn't earn his grace. But him and his goodness looked on me as sinner in my lost condition and showered me with forgiveness, birthed me into his family. I'm different now, a new creature in Christ. Why? Because of the gospel. Yeah, if I were you, I'd keep working on your little schemes too. Or you could turn your city upside down and preach the gospel. You can chase rabbits if you want to. I'd rather lift up a lamb. Say amen right there. Well, amen. It's a simple message, yet profoundly powerful. It's an old message, yet it's timeless. It's very succinct, yet it stretches out to whosoever will let him come. The gospel doesn't need your packaging. It doesn't need your marketing. It just needs you to proclaim it. It doesn't need dressed in modern terms. It doesn't need adorned in secular song. It doesn't need made more appealing by mood lighting and worldly atmosphere. It's as timeless as eternity and as relevant as God's immutability. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Tonight, we had to let those who tried the gospel and tasted and seen that the Lord is good testify a moment and let you know, hey, listen, the gospel is enough. I like what Paul said. He said, for I, he said, for I am not ashamed. You know why? Because he was a firsthand witness of the power of the gospel. You know the story of him. He wasn't born Paul. He wasn't a preacher. He was a rude dude in a crude mood. Saul of Tarsus going everywhere, shutting down churches, imprisoning Christians. But God changed his life. He wasn't going to hang his head. He wasn't going to apologize. He wasn't going to look for backup. He wasn't scared of Caesar. He wasn't worried about the centurions. He didn't care about the legionaries. He said, I got something bigger than that. He said, I'm going to march into Rome with a double-barreled gospel gun and I'm going to blow the fuzz off of everything that doesn't move. And if it doesn't I'm going to kick it and then I'm going to shoot it after I kick it. 
Amen. He knew the gospel could change his life. Hey, think about it. Let him testify a minute. Get some old ragged fishermen by the Sea of Galilee and Peter stand up and say, man, the gospel changed my life. Let a tax collector named Matthew come and testify. And he say, man, the gospel changed my life. Let a man wrapped in his religion come to Jesus by night and then testify Nicodemus would say, the gospel changed my life. Let an old Samaritan woman who wrecked her life come to a well at a weird hour and then leave of living water and she testify and say, the gospel changed my life. You let that one leper come back to Jesus, lay down at his feet and give him glory. Then he'd run by the mic and say, let me just stop and say, the gospel has changed my life. You let that lame man that was let down through a roof get up and run a lap around the building. He'd stop by for a second and say, let me tell you, the gospel changed my life. You let the manic of Gadara put his clothes on and then come to church and let him testify a minute. He'd say, my chains are gone. God broke them off of me. The gospel has changed my life. You let old Mary Magdalene come. She'd say, you know what? I got to anoint the one that anointed me. And I want to tell you, I'm not who I once was or used to be. The gospel has changed my life. You let a centurion testify. He'd say, the gospel changed my life. You let a thief on the cross come here tonight. He'd say, the gospel changed my life. You talk to Cornelius. He'd say, the gospel changed my life. Ask an Ethiopian eunuch. He'd say, the gospel changed my life. Ask a Philippian jailer. He'd say, the gospel changed my life. Ask every city turned on its head in the book of Acts and thousands upon thousands would say, the gospel changed my life. And by the way, if you're saved, you can add your voice to that. And tells the gospel changed my life. And such were some of you, but you're washed, sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Isn't it good? You're not always you're not what you always were, you're not what you used to be. Let me ask you, what was it then that broke your chains? What got you out of your tomb? What lifted up your head? What pulled you out of the ditch? What established your steps? What softened your heart? What changed your life? Well, then why are we relying on so many other things? It is the gospel that's the power of God unto salvation. In verse number one, Paul reveals the emptiness of the gospel messenger. See what it says? Paul, a servant. Now, he'll say, I'm an apostle a little bit later, but he said, but don't get it twisted. I, I'm just a servant. You know what I like about that? It just reminds us it's not our sufficiency. The sufficiency is not in the messenger. You look at who God has used. Bob Jones Sr. just said, God can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick. God doesn't use us because of us. God uses us in spite of us. That the sufficiency should not be in ourselves. Paul said, not with enticing words, men's wisdom. He said, I'm not coming to you with speech that'll puff up. He said, no, I just want to be in the simplicity of the gospel. I don't want to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm a big zero with the rim knocked off. And that ought to encourage you tonight because you might be sitting there thinking, I'm not adequate. I'm not enough. That's exactly what God is looking for. It is wonderful to acknowledge your weakness and lean on his omnipotence. Amen. Then I see the earnestness, though, of the gospel messenger in verse 9. For God is my witness whom I serve. I like this with my spirit. He's like, I'm giving it my all. My energy, my effort, everything I've got, I'm pouring into this gospel ministry. 
Everybody wants Paul results, but they don't want the Paul effort. Well, I'd like to have that. Well, then go get that. Say amen right there. So Paul said, I'm getting everything I got for the gospel. But then like this, the eagerness of the gospel messenger, verse 15. I like what he says here. I'm ready to preach. You don't have to twist my arm. You don't have to beg me. In fact, I don't have to even get invited to the ministerial association meeting because I wouldn't go anyway. I'll just stand out in the parking lot and preach there. You say, I'm going to preach at the drop of a hat. And if you don't drop it, I'm going to drop it for you. I want to preach the gospel. You remember where you were when you got saved? Man, I remember the day I got saved. Remember that? Man, I remember when I got saved. I, 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 remember I, went, I went to church. First time, I had no idea what it was like to go to an independent fundamental primitive temple in Baptist church. I was right off the street, man. You, you think, you know, you probably raised this way. You went to North Valley Baptist School. Wouldn't that be a bad testimony of our school if I went there? Aren't you glad I didn't go there? Isn't that, that wouldn't that be a bad testimony? Anyway, I'm not a product of that. Don't worry. There's no cat. There's much better than this. But anyhow, I got saved late. I remember the first time I went to church, Independent Fundamental Preliminary Temple of Middle Baptist Church. First time I went to church, I walked up to that church. I was wearing a pair of khaki shorts and a pink t-shirt and flip-flops. Man, I could have preached at the Southern Baptist Convention meeting. I could be the president, same man right there. I walked up to the back door of that church, man. I'd never been to church before. I had a little purple Bible my mom had given me. And I walked up to the back door of that church, and there's two men in suits out there like we have around here. And I thought they were bouncers because I'd never been in place with ushers before. Well, that's a lie. Movie theater. Sorry. Oh, I'm kidding. That was, I've, never been anywhere, I've never been anywhere like this. I thought they were bouncers. I thought, good night. They're going to kick us out before we ever get in. I walked up to the back door and they said, hey, brother. And I thought, dude, I don't know you. I've never seen you in my life. We're not related. I mean, we could be. It's West Virginia. I, I don't think we're related. I've never met you in my life. What are you doing here? And, and they said, why are you here? I said, I was invited here. And I, I gave them the name. Hey, I said, I, I'm here for, for, for this family. Where are they? And they said, up there. They escorted me up to, their, to, to Desiree's family's assigned pew. You know, all of them have an assigned pew in these independent Baptist churches. And so they walked me up to that assigned pew. And I sat down there. There was like 500 of them there. I always see people like denim jumpers for days in that, that row right there. I sat down. They began to sing songs like I'd heard on Andy Griffith, man. I never heard anything like it in my life. Leaning on the everlasting arms and what a friend we have in Jesus. And every once in a while, somebody would say amen. No, it was more lively than that. But anyway, they'd say amen. Scare me half to death. It'd be like if some of you shouted this week, it'd scare us up here half to death. I was just... They say, amen. I thought, what in the world? I thought somebody's passing, I thought somebody's passing out in church. I never heard me shout in church. I said, now I'm paying people before I preach. Would you shout? <laughs> but I remember the preacher got in the pulpit. First thing out of his mouth was bless God. I didn't know what that meant. Now I know what that means. That means he's gonna rip your lips off in Jesus' name and you're gonna like it. He got in the pulpit and he said, bless God. But he didn't say like, he hacked. You ever heard hacking before? He said, bless God. Get out your 1611 King James Bible. That's what he said. I didn't even know there was such a thing. I thought, what in the world 1611 King James Bible? I thought he meant the size of it. I had this little old Schofield Bible. And I began to measure that in the pew. I'm, it's a true story. I measured up the spine of it eight inches. Eight inches. I measured across the bottom of it seven inches. I thought, good night, here I am. I said, inadequate Bible. I got an eight by seven. Everybody's got this 16 by 11. <laughs> I wish that wasn't true, but it's true. He said, take your Bible, turn to 1 John. I didn't know there was a 1 John. Do you know that? So I turned to John chapter number one. 
He began to read out of 1 John. I began to read out of John chapter 1. Mine said, in the beginning was the word, the word was, and that's not what he was reading. I thought, this is not the right Bible. I got the wrong Bible. He prayed, and then he took off preaching. Now, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about, first slide, please. Yeah. If, if you'll notice the PowerPoint from my iPad here, yeah. I was preaching on sand in the desert. This is what sand looks like. See, sand? That's, that's sand right there. That's not what he did. He, he, he took off, I'm talking about Parisian. I'm talking about capital letters, bold font, neon light in the front window of the church. Parisian, like a horse at the, out of the gate of the Kentucky Derby. 100 miles a minute. He just took off. I mean, he just started preaching against everything that moved. I sat there, my eyes were big as round as paper plates watching him. I thought, man, this dude's off his medication. He's going to have us drink Kool-Aid. I thought they're going to bring out tambourines and tap them. Women going to cut cartwheels. Men are going to speak in unknown tongues. I thought, well, in the world. I thought, man, they're going to lock the back doors, make us stay here some kind of cult. You know, I never seen anything like it in my life. I heard somebody say cool lots. I thought, man, they're speaking in tongues. I've never heard of cool lots in my life. I remember him preaching. He had a vein like an anaconda start going down between his eyes, and he had two like PVC pipes from earlobe to shoulder blade. That man was in his. Uh, he was older. Anyway, uh, he'd forgotten his keys that morning, smoked some marijuana. But anyway, uh, Sorry, sorry about that. Uh, anyway, uh, he was an older man. I've never seen anybody do this before in my life. Brother Brown might do it till Tuesday, but I don't know. He took his leg with cobweb, put him up on the pulpit like that, began to preach. I thought, man, that guy's demon possessed or yoga. One of the, either way, it's demon. But he said, I've never seen a man like that flexible in my life. He scared me to death. I was sitting there praying, God, let me, let me get out of here. I don't want to die in this church. I, I want to see my dad again. I want to see my mom again. I, I promise, I, I promise I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Buy Girl Scout cookies, help old ladies across the street. I, I, I mean, anything. Help the Foley boys get out of high school, year 14, whatever it is. I, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Help me get out of there. I was scared to death. Finally, he wound her down, gave an invitation. And the preacher, but God commendeth his love toward Justin. That's how it sounded. I tell you this, the first time in my life, the Holy Spirit of God convicted me of my sin. And I realized I'm not going to heaven because I'm an American or because I go to church every once in a while. I'm lost and need to get saved. My father-in-law now, he gave me a tract by John R. Rice. I didn't walk the aisle. I was too full of pride. He said, if you'll read this, See what you think about it. And I read that track and got saved in my college apartment because of the gospel. I think about this all close. The depth of the gospel, if Paul can get saved, man, anybody. He said, I'm the chief of sinners. I don't care if they got pink and purple and blue hair or if they look like they stepped out of the fundamental J.C. Penney catalog. They can get born again. I think about the dynamic of the gospel. It's the power of God. It's more powerful than the hold of alcohol. It's more powerful than an alternative lifestyle. It's more powerful than political party. I think about the declaration of the gospel to everyone. You'll never take it to the wrong person. I remember I was preaching all close. I was preaching in a, a, a state on the East Coast. And we were in a revival meeting. It's supposed to be there Sunday to Wednesday. And it kind of got good. Do you know what I'm talking about? In the South, they go to church for fun. That's just what we do. And so if they can get more of it, they just extend meetings out. I was preaching on the last night. I didn't have enough money to stay. <clears throat> and this man came in overalls, and he pulled $300 cash out of his overalls and said, we got to keep this revival going. He said, here, go get you another couple nights at the hotel. And <clears throat> anyway, so we extended that meeting, and the next night it was horrible. I mean, it was just dead. I thought, why in the world am I here? But something happened. 
a man came and told a story. Strange looking fellow, a street preacher. And he said, I just want to testify. He said, I've been going downtown in the name of the city on the street corner. He said, I've been preaching down there. And he said, I haven't been seeing anybody get saved. And he told that story. He said, just pray for me. So we, that was that night. But the next night, a man came and gave a testimony. And he said, I just want to testify. He said, I almost killed myself yesterday. He said, I was in my apartment downtown in that town. He said, sitting on the bed in my apartment, I had a gun cocked on the bed. He said, I was sitting there about to pull that trigger. He said, and I heard all of a sudden God spoke to me. That's what he said. This is a back, backwards country. He said, God spoke to me. He said, all of a sudden I heard it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And he thought, what in the world was that? So I'm trying to kill myself and hear God speaking to me. He said, I sat there with that gun. He said, I heard it again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whosoever. And he said, I heard that several times. He said, I don't know where it came from. He's testifying in church live in front of all of us. He said, but I just came tonight to tell you, I got saved in my apartment last night. Well, that guy from the night before was sitting there. And he started weeping, and he said, I just want to ask what street it was. And he named it. And it was the exact street corner where the other fellow had been going faithfully without seeing anybody saved, shouting, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Didn't happen on the first day or the second day, or I don't know how many days, but I know this, the gospel's the power of God unto salvation. And I guarantee you this, fellas, Preachers, there is somebody in your city, a bus kid someplace, a home, an individual that's waiting for someone to tell them, hey, you know what? God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for your sins. And if the gospel can work for you, it could work for them. And tonight, listen, you'll get some good ideas. We'll have sessions. But honestly, if we just get more gospel, I think we could make a difference. I'm going to pray the altar be open. Remember when your life was changed by the gospel. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.